boy, oh boy, there was outrage, a lot of emotion online after a Toronto man charged with the alleged murder of a Toronto police constable, Jeffrey Northrup, was uh, released on bail. Just to refresh your memory here, Umar uh, Zamir was charged with first-degree murder after it's alleged that he intentionally struck Toronto police constable Jeffrey Northrup with a vehicle in a parking garage near City Hall on July the 2nd. He was a 31-year-old veteran of the force, a father. There he was, along with his partner. They were in plain clothes when they answered a priority call in the area. And he was rushed to the hospital where he died. Now, police have not released any other information on the incident. There is a police um, or a news publication ban in effect for uh, this case. So we don't know much. We don't have a lot of details here. There's there's a limit on the details that we can even know about and talk about. But I want to welcome on to the show our first guest who, who always takes stories like this and headlines like this and, you know, makes them uh, easy to consume and understand why um, some decisions like this that on first blush look absolutely incomprehensible are part of our legal system. Joseph Newberger is our legal analyst and criminal lawyer with Newberger and Partners. He joins the show. Joseph, I thought of you immediately when I saw this headline yesterday. I'll do my best, Kelly. <laughs> All right. No pressure. Come on. I know you always do well. Um, how unusual is it that somebody charged with first-degree murder would be released on bail, especially when the victim is a member of the Toronto Police Services? So um, for a release on a first-degree murder is uh, rare, but not um, it, it occurs, especially in circumstances where uh, an individual has no criminal antecedents, roots in the community, and a very secure plan can be put forward for a release. And so we have to remember that in Canada, there is the presumption of innocence. So because somebody's charged doesn't mean that they're guilty of an offense. It has to be proven at trial. Second, there is a constitutional right to a reasonable bail. So you look at issues like risk to the community and then the strength of the Crown's case. Those would be two main issues. Uh, I, I don't think this individual would pose a flight risk. So when looking at a murder case, it is rare, but it, it occurs more often than one would think. Um, involving a police officer is indeed very tragic because it's an individual who has dedicated their life to protecting the community. But um, bail can still be granted if uh, there is a, a secure plan put in place. And so in this instance, we also know that the individual is on essentially a house arrest uh, and wearing an ankle monitor. So uh, they're monitored 24-7. And um, it's a very strict release. So in answer to your question, which is I'm a bit long-winded, um, it is rare, but it does occur. And there are factors that have to be taken into consideration, including constitutional rights. Right. Now, this bail uh, that he was posted on, the bail was $335,000. Does that seem steep or does that seem about right? No, that's about right. I mean, uh, in, in many types of cases, you'll see a fairly high bail where it's a murder case or, or something very, very serious. So that, that seems fairly reasonable in the circumstances. I understand that he's got an electronic, I guess it's a electronic supervision. That's uh, that's legal speak for ankle bracelet or something like that. He also right. has to refrain from operating motorized vehicle, forfeit all travel documents and, um, you know, and wear this ankle bracelet 24 seven. Uh, that to me would uh, suggest that he's a possible flight risk, but it's not going to happen if they've, you know, if they're monitoring him closely. 
I, I agree. So when you put a plan together, um, you want to ensure that even though there may not be a significant risk of flight, um, that the person's monitored because it's not just flight, but you're also addressing risk to the community. So something like an anchor, ankle monitor is not 100% foolproof, but it does give um, very serious surveillance on the individual and it mitigates a risk to the community and, and flight. Um, so uh, it, it, it's fairly stringent and, and that's in conjunction with the other terms that include essentially house arrest. I mean, the person I believe is allowed to go uh, to and from employment, but uh, there's very, very limited uh, exceptions to the house arrest. Off the top, we talked about the fact that there's a publication ban surrounding this case, so we don't know much about it. Uh, but the, uh, Zamir's lawyer, Nadar Hassan, has advised the court of their intention to seek uh, vary the terms of the publication ban so that the public will better understand the case and why the court has reached this decision. Is that uncommon that a defense lawyer would say, no, you know, I know there's a publication ban, but can we lift some of it? Because, I, you know, uh, we want... We want the public to know what's going on. Yeah, it, it is very unusual. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the motivation is. The reason for a publication ban is uh, to ensure the integrity of the trial process. So what I speculate is that um, during the course of the bail hearing, um, uh, uh, portions of the evidence that's been presented in disclosure to the defense was addressed in the bail proceeding. So there must be something about the case and, and, and in addition to facts about the accused um, that mitigates uh, the risk to the community. And so the lawyer wants there to be a more balanced understanding of why this individual is released uh, and um, maybe that way to ensure that there's a fair trial. Um, publication bans are very important and everybody has to understand that um, we don't know very much about the case. We know it's a tragedy. We know this officer who was a veteran uh, died, and we know that this individual is accused of this. But we don't really know uh, much about the investigation and the evidence. And so we have to step back and, and put our emotions in check and, and reserve judgment until the evidence comes out. A publication ban is designed to protect the integrity of a trial process to ensure at the end of the day that there is a fair trial and that we're not litigating this in the media and a potential jury pool is not infected by it. So it is very unusual he's asking for this, but uh, mm -hmm. I suspect the reason is to have the public understand and maybe ensure in his mind what would be down the road a fair trial. We're speaking with criminal lawyer Joseph Newberger. He's our expert when it comes to uh, this sort of thing. I, this story about uh, Constable Northrup and the fact that the um, alleged uh, person uh, that was charged with his first degree murder um, it was let was let off on um, on bail yesterday just to get you into um, where we're at here if you're just tuning in now you, you know Joseph you mentioned that um, you have to keep your emotions in check now the president of the Toronto Police Association um, basically came out with a statement said they are absolutely appalled and of course that that seems like something that you could expect because Constable Northrup was a member of the Toronto Police Association. Uh, Ontario Premier Doug Ford weighed in on it on Twitter. He said, this is beyond comprehension. It's completely unacceptable that the person charged for this heinous crime is now out on bail. Our justice system needs to get its act together and start putting victims and their families ahead of criminals. John Tory has weighed in on it. Joseph, you know, when you talk about the right to a fair trial and the publication ban and the reason for it, is this problematic that we now have 
public figures weighing in on a trial, you know, that we very, we don't know all the details of. Okay, so I'm going to separate it. So first of all, when you're dealing with the police associations and the head of a police association, I certainly understand the emotion and the sentiment that he's trying to convey, and he wants to protect his members and ensure that people don't get bail, especially in in incidents involving uh, a a police officer. So I I understand that commentary. Um, I am very uh, disturbed by politicians weighing in on the justice system, in particular our premier, because the attorney general, which is a position within the province, governs the justice system here and directs much of what uh, Crown attorneys will do and has an impact on selecting judges, etc. So I think when Doug Ford opens his mouth and says these things, uh, it uh, negatively impacts uh, our justice system and can have a very negative impact uh, on on policies that will, um, in my opinion, beyond this case, uh, but can impact uh, fairness and can lead to wrongful convictions. I think Doug Ford uh, should stay out of this. I don't think politicians should talk about this. Uh, He wants to get reelected, so that's why he comes out and says this. But it's deeply disturbing. Um, And and I have to emphasize, people will react this way until uh, they're charged, uh, a family member is charged, or a very good friend, and they realize the power of a system and just how easy it is for somebody to be falsely accused of an offense. I'm not saying in this particular case, but when a politician steps out of their purview to comment about how our system is broken, when it is absolutely not, and is criticizing essentially a judge who was a, an outstanding lawyer and is an outstanding judge, is really beyond the pale. And I think it just speaks to the danger of, uh, of who we elect as politicians and want to have our lives uh, governed by these individuals. But I want to ask you, is can you bring in the right to a fair trial? Because, I mean, I think that that could possibly, you know, when you talk about the publication ban and why it's in place, is this problematic that, that we've got politicians speaking out as well? Because they do, you know, uh, we've just seen in an election uh, people vote for people that they find relatable or people that, that you know, they think will be good leaders. Um, could this, this not sway public opinion and, and couldn't it? Um, it, it taint the, the possibility of, of getting a good jury. Yeah, that's why I speak about getting to, you know, wrongful convictions. When in, in this particular case, we need a jury panel, which will not be influenced by what's in the media and what's been reported on. And that includes politicians making comments about our justice system, because what he is saying is essentially this person's guilty, and they should be in jail, and they should be found guilty. Forget about the trial. So that harms the right to a fair trial. It can infect a jury pool later on, and it can work to the opposite of a prosecution against somebody who's responsible for a murder. So that's not what you want. You want to protect mm-hmm. the integrity of a process. And if he gives, if he has any concern about proper prosecutions where proof beyond a reasonable doubt prevails and a person can be held accountable for their actions, he should not be making these comments because it can have a detrimental effect down the road on a fair trial. That just goes to show that these politicians don't know what they're saying. I feel like I need to go back and just make sure that we're crystal clear here. Um, You know, I guess you people could read into it that this person is guilty through, you know, what Doug Ford tweeted out. But he did say it's completely unacceptable that a person charged for this heinous crime is now out on bail. That didn't really necessarily uh, have to do with guilt or innocent. It's just uh, out on bail, I think, is what he's commenting to. It's the same thing to me. I mean, we we, we have a presumption of innocence and we have a right to reasonable bail enshrined in our Constitution. 
So what he's saying is that he should be held in custody because he's guilty. That's essentially what it is. And that's the sentiment that's coming across. If a judge gives a reasoned and a fair hearing on a bail and determines that it's not a risk to the community, that there may be something about the Crown's case that's mitigated because of what's been presented, and the person's not a flight risk, and there's not going to be a a significant risk to the community, then the person should receive bail. And then let the system play itself out. There will be, you know, an experienced prosecutor. There will be an experienced judge. There will be a jury down the road. And and whatever the facts are, they will be litigated. But I don't think a a politician should say that because they're essentially saying the bail Mm -hmm. system's broken, but this person doesn't deserve bail because they're accused of this offense, which which to me is against the presumption of innocence. Joseph, I love talking to you, and I wasn't going to bring this up, but my next topic uh, that we're going to talk about in the next segment is going to be about that Spadina uh, Fort York MP, Kevin Vong, Vong, who is, uh, he's, there's controversy um, in calls for him to step down that people want a by-election. I'm going to get into the skinny on that. But he was charged with a sexual assault, but the charges were then dropped. Can you just, um, I'm just wondering if from a legal perspective, uh, you could give us, uh, and I mean, I, I am really hitting you out of left field here. I didn't tell no, you no. we were going to talk about this, but if you could talk, speak to that and what it means when charges are dropped, does it mean that there wasn't enough evidence? Does it mean that the person that initially brought the charges forward dropped them? Can a judge throw it out and have the charges dropped? What, what are the scenarios in which, uh, you're accused of a sexual assault charged, but then the charges are dropped? Okay, so I'm I'm delighted you brought this up because I was listening to the commentary from that NDP uh, individual who was saying that uh, there should be a by-election and this gentleman uh, who has been elected has forfeited his right to be in office. So mm-hmm. uh, when charges are dropped, the term is withdrawn. So Crown prosecutors have to assess their cases for reasonable prospect of conviction. So charges can be withdrawn because there is not sufficient evidence to go forward with the case, meaning the person may be innocent. Second, uh, a complainant in a sexual assault case uh, does not have influence as to whether a case uh, is prosecuted or not. That's up to the Crown attorney. They can express their views that they don't want to proceed, and the Crown can take that into consideration, but that will not be the dispositive reason why a charge is withdrawn. Most of the time, it's because uh, the evidence that is being assessed by the Crown prosecutor, and usually involving also a deputy crown prosecutor, is that there is a, an insufficient basis to go forward uh, to secure a conviction in a case. So we have to remember that when charges are withdrawn, that means in law that the person uh, is innocent and we can't go beyond that. Now, in this case, I don't know and the public doesn't know about the facts, but I can tell you and I defend thousands of sexual assault cases, that there are many reasons why prosecutors won't go ahead with it, some of which involves the person who's accused is actually innocent, and we can't lose sight of that. And when a politician wants to say that somebody forfeits their right because they were simply charged, again, it's against the presumption of innocence, and it means that because somebody is charged, they have to be guilty, and that is very, very, very dangerous. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm happy that, that you've uh, talked about this. You decided to comment about this because I also thought it was interesting uh, the way Norm DePasquale on Toronto Today was framing the story. We are going to talk about that, Joe. But that said, you know, when you talk about non-insufficient uh, evidence um, and the Crown Attorney saying, I'm not going to move forward with this, what kind of evidence do you need to go forward? Because aren't a lot of sexual assaults, uh, 
you know, a, a situation where it's a he said, she said story? Do you need, wh- what kind of evidence would you need? Uh, would you need like some physical evidence of uh, bruising or something like that? Would you need um, no. people that heard something? No. Wh- what do you need? Nothing. I, a complainant's evidence. So a complainant will give a statement to police. That's sufficient to give reasonable grounds to lay a charge. And a trial can be based solely on the evidence of a complainant and often uh, will result in a conviction. So you don't need in law any corroborating evidence whatsoever. There should be no impression uh, in the public that um, because it's simply a he said, she said that a person cannot be convicted of a sexual assault. In fact, it's the contrary. The evidence can be quite compelling. And there's case law specifically talking about how to assess evidence when there is nothing else uh, to look at, which would be, you know, we'd think of as independent or corroborative evidence. So uh, many cases, thousands of cases go forward just on complainant's evidence as it should, because many uh, types of violence involving vulnerable individuals happen behind closed doors. So you're not going to have audio recordings and you're not going to have other uh, types of corroborative evidence. So they do go forward and can result in a conviction. And, you know, I frankly, I address this in great detail on I have a podcast and we look at these cases and uh, and the case law, and it's very important for people to understand that uh, you know thousands and thousands of cases are prosecuted just on complainant's evidence, and that doesn't mean that a person's not guilty or guilty. Joseph, you've been a uh, wealth of information. What's the name of the podcast so so that you can plug it here? Because I think that you've probably uh, piqued people's interest. It's called Not on Record. All right, perfect. I like it. Hey, Joseph, thanks so much for making a sense of this story and uh, and the segment that we're going to go into. Thanks, Kelly, for addressing all this. It's very, very important. Have a great day.